Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Tuesday, December 22nd, 2015. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletic Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Beantown Athletics, the only union screen printer in Boston. Go to BeantownAthletics.com right now. That's BeantownAthletics.com or give them a call, 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. Beantown Athletics is also home of the best skate shopping in New England. So grab your skates, swing by the shop on Granite Ave in Dorchester. There is plenty of parking out back and make sure you tell them. I sent you. So week 15 in the NFL is officially over as last night the Detroit Lions defeated the New Orleans Saints 35-27 to on Monday Night Football. That game in New Orleans, no playoff implications. Uh, if anything, the only implication in this game was what? Maybe the projected draft order for next year? And I know every single day it feels like I go over the playoff picture in the NFL and I'll probably do it again tomorrow as on tomorrow's podcast like I do every Wednesday I will preview the upcoming week in the National Football League but today on this Tuesday because we had a game last night that meant nothing in the standings with regards to the NFL playoffs because New Orleans has been eliminated Detroit's been eliminated they are both eliminated and were eliminated already going into last night's game because there were no playoff implications last night. How about we take a look at the current projected 2016 NFL draft order? The number one pick, if it ended today and the draft was tomorrow, the number one pick in the NFL would go to the Tennessee Titans. The number two pick would go to the Cleveland Browns. The number three pick would go to the San Diego Chargers. The Ravens, the Baltimore Ravens would get the fourth pick. San Francisco would get pick number five. Dallas would get the sixth pick. Detroit would get the seventh. Miami the eighth. Jacksonville the ninth. Chicago the tenth. St. Louis the eleventh. New Orleans the twelfth. So I'll stop there uh, because for the most part, the rest of the teams that I'm about to name, well, Technically, a lot of them are still alive, though Tampa Bay is eliminated. St. Louis, I mentioned them, they're eliminated. But I just wanted to mention the New Orleans Saints and the Detroit Lions and where they stand. Detroit is now 5-9, and nine. New Orleans 5-9, and nine. but that is the projected draft order. I know, I don't really care too much about that because none of those teams are my teams. My team's the New England Patriots, I'm not really looking at the draft order, really any at any point, any season, and even if I were, um, we know what's going on with the Patriots draft pick. So I don't think I need to remind you about that because of all the Deflategate bullshit. But, I mean, last night, because this game meant nothing to the playoffs, New Orleans-Detroit, I didn't watch it. That wasn't the only reason, because there were no playoff implications. The other reason was I was at the Boston Celtics game last night, and I tell you what, and and you know what? This isn't, I'm not trying to brag about this, what I'm about to talk about, but I feel the need to talk about it because it was pretty cool, a pretty cool experience. I sat for the first time in my life, I sat courtside at an NBA game. I sat courtside at the Celtics game last night, 
at the TD Garden. They beat the Minnesota Timberwolves. Kevin Garnett's return to Boston, though, he didn't play. He was in his warm-up gear. He was taking shots. Uh, he was on the sideline. It looked like maybe he, and I know, the reports before the game were, and it was maybe a half hour before the game, they announced that Kevin Garnett would not play because he needed rest. Now, KG this season, he has not been playing uh, the second game of a back-to-back night set. So they played last night. Regularly, it would be automatic. We wouldn't even be talking about it. We'd say, hey, KG's not playing in the second game because they just played last night. But, well... Because he's coming home and was coming to Boston, you could say maybe he makes an exception and he does get a couple minutes. And even if it's not in the starting lineup, maybe it's he comes off the bench in the fourth quarter. Who knows? Just just to get out there, just to get an ovation. Now, that did not happen. Kevin Garnett did not play at all. And uh, they had a little moment for him late because they did a little Geno time on, you know, on the Jumbotron where everybody goes nuts and, and you know that KG loves Geno Time, loves that video and just loves the whole idea of Geno Time at the TD Garden because he was part of a lot of Geno Times at the TD Garden when he was a member of the Celtics. So he got a good kick out of that and then they put the the Jumbotron on him and uh, KG got a nice ovation. We were pretty much rooting for him all night. We were were just chanting KG's name, hoping that he would actually come off the bench, but that never happened. And uh, that wasn't the only reason I was at that game, though. I got these tickets courtside, and me and a couple buddies went. Honestly, I'm not bragging about the seats. I'm not sitting here pounding my chest saying, hey, I sat courtside last night at the Celtics, and you didn't. I'm telling you that this needs to be a bucket list thing that every sports fan must they everybody every sports fan must try to find a way to sit on the court or just try somehow if you can't do it fine but at least try look I've sat in a lot of good seats and being a being lucky enough to have been a member of the media uh as a reporter for Comcast Sportsnet you know I, I sat in some pretty good spots I got to go in the locker rooms and 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 you know um had some great experiences there that are unique and you know, I've found myself in my entire life sitting in some pretty good seats at Fenway, the TD Garden, Gillette Stadium. But I tell you what, there is no better seat in sports, in my opinion, than courtside at an NBA game. But it needs to be for a franchise like the Celtics. Like, I assume that Madison Square Garden must be an awesome spot to have a courtside seat. There's a couple other places that must be pretty damn cool. Uh, courtside for a Lakers game must be cool, right? There's a couple other spots. But the Garden last night, I sat courtside behind one of the Nets. It was right next to the Timberwolves bench. Now, you could people say courtside sometimes, and you're not really courtside, right? You might be, like, kind of on the court, but four rows back. No, 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 no. There are, behind the Nets, there are two, at least the side I was on, two rows behind the court. That's it. And, and I think there's eight seats. I think it's eight seats wide, but only two rows. We were in the second row, but we were on the court. It's, it, it was the best seat that I have ever had at any sporting event in my entire life. It was unbelievable. It, it, it is, I'm t- I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not making this up. And I'm not just saying it because I'm in the moment and it happened to be last night. 
It was the best damn seat that I've ever had and the best experience that I've ever had watching a game. It was unbelievable. So I, I recommend, and I know, it, look, I, got, I was lucky enough to get these tickets. I was lucky. If you can be lucky enough, at least try to be lucky enough, somehow, if you can, I, I, I just, I think you should at least try. Every sports fan needs to at least try to sit courtside. And I would, I would never tell you this two days ago. But, you know, I was excited to see courtside because it was the first time. But, I mean, once you're there and you walk out and you're sitting there and the game's being played and it's an NBA game and it's the Boston Celtics, I mean, just just awesome. Awesome stuff last night. And uh, so that's why I didn't see any of the football game. I was at the Celtics game. And th- I might as well have stayed at the Garden last night. I'm going back tonight. We got a sweet uh, for the Bruins game tonight. And I'm not trying to brag. I'm, I'm lucky to get these tickets. There's no skill involved in getting these tickets that I've been getting the last two nights. But we get a suite tonight at the TD Garden for the Bruins game. They're playing the St. Louis Blues. So back-to-back nights at the Garden for me. Um, and uh, last night, the Celtics win. And the reports today... David Lee available in a trade. And and they, they come out with these reports like... Like, that's some type of breaking news. I, I will say this about David Lee. I honestly thought if the Celtics here in late December were above 500, which they are, they have 15 and 13, 15 wins, 13 losses. Now, if the playoffs began today in the NBA, the Celtics would not be in. They're just barely on the outside looking in by a game. Uh, the Eastern Conference... A lot of teams are a lot closer than I thought they would be. It's a, it's a much better conference than I thought, much more competitive conference than I thought it was going to be this year. But if you told me in late December, you know, Christmas week, that the Celtics were going to be above 500, I would have told you, yes, you're right. Because, like I say, if you listen to me before the season, my prediction was the Celtics win anywhere from 48 to 50 games. And, um,. You would think by Christmas time they'd be a, a couple games above 500. I mean, I expected this, but I would have also told you that if the Celtics were above 500, it would be because David Lee would be somebody who was getting 30 minutes a night, was in the starting lineup every night, and was a major contributor. He is not. He is not a major contributor. He, in fact, is only playing. He's only averaging. minutes a game. And if you look at his career, that is the lowest minutes per game that he's had, I was going to say since his rookie year in 05-06 with the Knicks, but even then, he averaged 17 minutes a game. He's not even averaging 16. He's 15.8. So David Lee is not contributing the way that I thought he would. Now, it's not, he has not been a negative part to this team. They're just not giving him the minutes that I thought he was going to get. Because if you look at David Lee's career, look, last year with Colton State, he only played in 49 games. He averaged 18.4 minutes a game. And because of that, his numbers were down. 7.9 points a game, 5.2 rebounds a game. But you go the year before, 2013, 2014, and even, you know, really the last four or five years prior to that, he was averaging 33 minutes a game, 37 minutes a game, 36 minutes a game, 37 minutes a game again. And what he showed me was when you're giving him 32-plus minutes a game, he's going to get you close to 20 points 
and 10 rebounds a game. He's going to be a double-double guy. And seeing the fact that David Lee is only 32 years old, right? And I still think the talent is there. You can see it when he's just even in his limited minutes with the Celtics this season. I I told you going in, if David Lee gets 32 minutes a night, he's going to be a double-double guy on this team, and he's going to be a major reason why the Celtics are above 500. Well, the Celtics are above 500. David Lee is not a major reason why. He's averaging 7.3 points a game, 4.3 rebounds a game, and he only averages 15.8 minutes a game. Uh, he began the season the first couple games in the starting lineup, right? Because that's the way they carried it over from the preseason, and then they took him out, and they put Sullinger and Amir Johnson in the starting lineup. Now, obviously, things were different last night uh, because the Celtics were a little banged up and De- and Brad Stevens having lost three straight, mixing some things up with the Celtics. Okay, but hey, the Celtics had a win last night, but the news today is that David Lee reports out that David Lee is available in a trade. And because of all the things that I just said, this should not come as some breaking news, shocking breaking news story. Like, this should not be a surprise. David Lee, it's an expiring contract. He's going to be a free agent next season. Uh, He's making some big money this year, but it's, again, expiring contracts. We know just how valuable those things are when you get to the NBA trade deadline and teams in a league that needs to match salaries. You know, you take that guy, you get the expiring contract, and you got him off the books for next season. So it should come as no surprise, especially given the fact that the Celtics aren't giving him big-time minutes, you could say, well, do they really need David Lee to be a team that's above 500, get into the playoffs, and be an exciting team, and be one of these teams that is still given other top teams fits with their own defense? And I think the answer to that question is, no, you don't need David Lee to be able to do that. Um, You know, I like David Lee. Again, he's a nice player. I'm not trying to knock him here. I think if you don't trade him, I think he can still be a valuable piece coming off the bench. There's no question. But he's not really a necessity at this point. And I think that's where I got the David Lee projection wrong because I honestly thought they were going to give him more minutes. Now, there have been some games this season where, you know, in the Christmas week, there have been some games up to this point where I have called for David Lee to be getting some more minutes in certain games, games in which maybe he was on the floor to begin the fourth quarter, and he you know, he sparked some type of comeback, and they kept going to him down low. Oh, we know how he's an athletic big, so he can drive to the basket, right? That's almost his game. You give it to him, he fakes the, the jump shot, and he's driving to the hoop. He's got the athleticism to be able to finish that play, and he can beat guys that aren't athletic enough to cover it. But there have been games in which David Lee has provided that type of spark, and I've said at the end of games, well, David Lee should still be on the court because clearly the other team couldn't stop what he was doing. That never happened. Um, But in the grand scheme of things, when we look at the Celtics team and we say, all right, they're beating the teams they should beat. Uh, You know, they just snapped the three-game losing skid. They're a couple games above 500. Sure, they're not in the playoffs right now if they began at A, but the good news is they don't begin today, and there's a lot of time between now and next spring. So David Lee, because he's an expiring contract and because he's not really a major piece to the puzzle this season, at least not as much as I thought he was going to be, 
you, he's not a necessity for you down the stretch in order to be, and I'll say it, championship contender. Now, the Celtics need to make a major move, maybe even two major moves, to be considered serious championship contenders. Here's what we know. They can keep up with some of the top teams in the league because they do a lot of things defensively that give superstar players some fits, right? We saw what Avery Bradley was able to do to Steph Curry when the Warriors came in here a couple weeks ago. But they need an elite scorer. Danny Ainge said it the other day when he was on the Toucher and Rich morning show, and he said, look, ideally... We need a go-to scorer on a nightly basis. Like, we need that one top dog that we know we can rely on. They don't have that guy right now. Isaiah Thomas, I think, is having an all-star season. But let's be honest here. You can improve on going out and getting that elite. There's a difference between being having an all-star season and being an elite go-to every-night scorer. And Danny Ainge even said... Ideally, that elite go-to scorer on a nightly basis would be a big man. All right? We know the names available. All right? If you listen to me, you know the guy that I want him to get, DeMarcus Cousins. And I do think that Danny Ainge is going to be trying to get him. We've heard the rumors. I don't think those are lies. I don't think those are made up. I think that's legit. I think Danny Ainge sees the talent in a 25-year-old DeMarcus Cousins, and he's going to try to go out and get him. Now, would David Lee beat somebody that, Maybe a Sacramento would want to take on because it's an expiring contract and it helps match in some salary. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe there's another move after that David Lee's involved in. But it should come as no surprise that David Lee trade rumors could start up now, especially given the fact that he only averages 15.8 minutes a game and he is that expiring contract that is so valuable from the December to February months leading into the trade deadline on February 18th, I believe it is, a Thursday at 3 o'clock this year. So we'll keep an eye on that story. Uh, the Celtics win last night, and the courtside seats were amazing. I- again, if you ever get a chance, do not turn down courtside seats ever. You will regret it for the rest of your life because it's, it's in my opinion, and look, I know, I love the Celtics. Um, but you know, I love Fenway Park and I've sat in pretty much every seat in the house, not literally, but every area of that ballpark, uh, the TD garden for a Bruins game. I mean, I've sat in multiple spots, but it's just, it's not the same being on the court. I mean, I we're pretty much, especially the seats we had, they were pretty much the end of the Timberwolves bench. Like, I feel like I could have called a fucking play for the Timberwolves last night. That's how up close and personal I was uh, to the end of their bench, right? And it's just a unique experience, especially when you factor in it's the TD Garden, it's the Boston Celtics, and KG was in the house. I would have loved to seen him play. I would have loved to seen him get the ovation, coming into a game real quick, even if it was just for a couple possessions, and then hearing the ovation, taking him out. You know, you wonder, is he ever going to be back as a player? I don't know. I mean, is this it for him? I would think it might be. I mean, even at this point, even though he suits up, Kevin Garnett is a, what? He's a coach, basically. He's basically one of the coaches for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And that's not a knock on him. That's just, I mean, that's, that's real life. That's realistically where his career is at. If his career wasn't at that point, he would have been playing last night. But he wasn't because that's just what they're doing with him. 
Um, I, I'm assuming he's some type of banged up right now. I don't know. I mean, he doesn't play the, the second night of back-to-back nights. All right. I would have loved to see him in the game last night, but it was just cool to see him. We did acknowledge him. We chanted his name all night long. And uh, it was funny because they teed up. They teed up the Minnesota coach minutes into the game. And, <laughs> you know, these are seats that are like, you don't want to be, at least, I had these seats this one this one time. I was lucky enough to get these seats this one time. And they're the type of seats where, because you might only get them once, I went with a couple of buddies. I said, listen, we... We can't be rowdy assholes at this game. Like, we just can't. Not tonight. I mean, we can root for the team, obviously. Have fun. Have a good time. Um, you know, hope they win. But let's not be rowdy assholes. But uh, <laughs> I won't say we were rowdy assholes. But we're all jacked up in these unbelievable seats. And two minutes into the game, the Minnesota Timberwolves coach is going nuts. And they tee him up. And we're standing up going, yeah, giving the tech, giving the T sign. We're teeing him up too. I felt like I teed him up last night. We teed the coach up for the Timberwolves. That's how close we were to the action. <laughs> um, it's just, uh, hey, we had to do it. Everybody else was standing up, teeing people up. We did it too. But uh, we had a great time. So uh, I, I hope to be able to sit in seats like that again. But you never know when, when you get that other opportunity. So you can't turn it down. I'm telling you, if you ever get the opportunity, do not turn it down. Uh, I never got an opportunity. Never got an opportunity, ever, to sit courtside. And I did last night, and it was a great time. I, I mean, I'm trying to think of other, something else you can compare it to. I mean, look, I've, I've been on the court, on the floor, covering college basketball. I went to, I covered UMass men's basketball in 06, 07, right? Was it 06? It was the 0, my, my senior year, 06, 07. I covered the team for the Massachusetts Daily Collegian. It was our college newspaper. Um, and I, we trapped. They were UMass in Northeastern, actually. They were playing in a tournament, in a four-team tournament in Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh was the number one team in the country. Northeastern and UMass. UMass Amherst was, was playing there. And... Um, so I was sent down, actually. I was also doing some stuff as a freelance reporter for the Boston Globe, covering high school and college sports. So they sent me down to cover the UMass and Northeastern games against Pittsburgh, again, who was the number one team in the country in Pittsburgh. A funny story. I feel like i got to tell this, and you might have already heard this before. It, it's, it's kind of a funny story. Uh, I, to this day, I don't know that anybody at the Globe even knows this story. I, I do feel like I should march up there on Morrissey Boulevard. Heck, I drive by it every fucking day. I mean, of my life. I went to high school across the street at BC High. I've been literally driving by Morrissey Boulevard every day of my life. Um, I mean, I used to work at the Globe, but I still don't think they know this story. When I was covering those games, the Globe sent me down to Pittsburgh. Uh, I was driving down, and... Me and my buddy, and really one of my roommates at UMass, Adam Janess, who is a former producer of, of this show way back in the day. If you listen to me six, seven years ago, Adam Janess was my producer when I was on, what, WBNW, uh, 1120 AM, uh, right? AM 1120, 
and uh, we were going to drive down there, and, and he was going too. We were taking his car. And, um, you know, I told him, I'll drive, this and that. You know, thanks for letting me take your car. I'll, I'll drive. Don't worry about it. But you want to come for the ride? Yeah, good. All right. So here we go. We're going to drive down. But the game was, the first game was on a Friday. I believe it was a Friday afternoon. So we were going to leave. We were going to leave Thursday. But here's the problem. We had an intramural hockey championship game. That we were in the championship for the second time in a three-year span. We lost in the, excuse me, not for the third time. We, we lost in the finals the year before. We won the championship the year before that. Not to go back into my intramural hockey history, but um, it was very competitive. It was my last year. We really wanted to win. And, uh, you know, it was a competitive intramural league, ice hockey. And we were in the finals. We were playing kids we knew that we wanted to just beat because they were talking so much shit. And so I played in the game, but it was, it was late. I think it was like an eight. 9 o'clock game, and so our plan was to drive to Pittsburgh, which is like a 10-hour drive. We were going to leave after that game, like 11 o'clock midnight, around then, and we were just going to get there, and there were two games I needed to cover that next day. One of them began at 1 o'clock, I think UMass was playing Pittsburgh, and then Northeastern was playing, I want to say it was, man, I forget the name of the team, they, the school they played. Uh, they wore green and black uniforms. Was it Oakland? So, uh, call, I, I forget what it was, but they I had to cover the UMass game, then the Northeastern game. Two straight games on deadline for the Boston Globe. And um, so I go play in the game the night before. And with a couple minutes left in the game, I mean, I think we were up 3-1. I'll never forget it. couple minutes left in the game. Kid, big kid, coming down the left wing. And what's ironic about this is, you know, I, I stopped... I stopped back-checking at that stage of my career, right? I stopped back-checking. I was a forward. I was a sentiment. Uh, you know, I'd like, to, I'd like to play up at, at the blue line in the neutral zone, but I didn't come back that hard usually. I decided to back-check. Championship game. You were only up a couple goals late in the game. Big kid coming down the left wing. I sprint up the middle of the ice to, to come back, and... I get to the top of the circle and I go to reach in with my left hand to poke check the puck away and sort of kind of just bump him a little bit off, off the puck. He's full speed. Big kid leans in on me, gives a, gives a hard lean like he's cutting over to the middle and my left arm was extended and he crushed my arm, crushed my shoulder and I separated my shoulder. Now, I can, t- I can remember the pain I was in Got right up, skated right off the ice, right into the room. Didn't stay down at all. I knew something was very wrong with my arm, my shoulder. Um, it wasn't popped out of place or anything. It was, I just couldn't move it. And I, I didn't know it was wrong at the time. But it was some of the worst pain I've ever had in my life. So I knew something was seriously wrong. But we ended up winning. We won the championship. I didn't really get to enjoy. There was no celebration for me. I was in the room. And uh, afterwards, I go back to my apartment and, and we try to figure out what we're going to do because I'm, something's wrong on my shoulder. Something needs to be done, right? Going to drive 10 hours or something around my shoulder. So we call down to the UMass Medical Center and I tell them what's happening. And I say, listen, how, how long would the wait be for me to get, get checked out? 
and whether I need to be put in a sling or, or whatever it is because I'm in just the throbbing pain right now and I don't know what's wrong on my shoulder. And um, they told me I'd be down there till like 4 in the morning. And this was at like 11 at night. And I'm going, I can't do it. I got to drive to Pittsburgh. I got to be in Pittsburgh tomorrow for the Boston Globe by, by tip-off. It's a 10-hour drive. So um, I can't do it. So what do we do? One of my buddies had a sling hanging around. We throw my arm in a sling. Uh, I sit in shotgun on the ride all the way down in just some of the worst pain I've ever had in my life in, in any part of my body. And we, find, we get to Pittsburgh. We go right to the hotel. I throw a, a dress shirt on, dress pants. I mean, I cannot, when I tell you I can't lift my arm at this point, can't lift my arm. Just cannot lift my arm. And uh, at that point, I go to to the arena, and I'm sitting courtside. And by the way, that's where I'm talking about the story. Cool seat. Like, I've, I've sat courtside at a college game, number one team in the country. I was in throbbing pain, though, the entire time. I basically had to type two stories, the UMass game and the Northeastern game, on deadline. And you don't just type stories. You gotta you gotta go to the press conferences. You gotta go interview players. It's a process. I got one arm. And keep in mind, I don't know what's wrong with me at this point in time. I still don't. I have not been seen by a doctor. I know that, and I'm still in just brutal pain. And I had to write these two stories on deadline. I'd love to see what these stories look like right now. I still haven't saved somewhere the newspapers. I bet you they're no good. I mean, I was just, I was out of it. I, I, I it hurt so bad. And I think I also was sort of stressing out, thinking I have not been looked at yet. I'm probably making it worse. So, and also on top of that, you know, I'm thinking of health insurance stuff. I'm in Pittsburgh. You know, I hadn't called home. I didn't tell my mother about this because if I do, she's going to be stressing out. I mean, just kind of a, kind of a shit show, but I had to do it because I had to get these stories for the Boston Globe. It was my life. It's my commitment. We made it happen. I made it happen. After those two games, I think I get out at like 9 o'clock out of the arena. Keep in mind, we are now a full 24 hours from when I suffered this shoulder injury, okay? And I have not been seen by a doctor still, 24 hours later. So we go to the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. And I tell them, I go to the front thing. Now, of course, it's like a Friday night, I think, or a Saturday night. Friday night, I think. And there's a million, there's a million people in the waiting room. And the wait is like, I mean, we waited for hours. I think I was, I was seen at like midnight, one in the morning. It was just, it was horrible. But I got seen and the doctor looked at me and I told her my situation. I said, it happened last night at UMass in a hockey game. Here's why I couldn't get checked out. Here's what I did today. I haven't been seen by anybody. She was looking at me. I'll never forget the way she looked at me as I told her the story as she looked at my arm. And we went through tests. And when I get results that I had a level two separation of the AC joint, it was, you know, I've never been looked at by someone like that. Like the way she looked at me with the crazy eyes. Like, really? This, this happened last night. I say, yeah, this happened last night. Uh, what can you do for me? Well, there's nothing they can do at that point in time. 
uh, surgery was an option. I declined that option and, uh, business as usual, ton of physical therapy and we moved on. But, um, that's my, that's always going to be when I talk about college basketball, when I think about college basketball and remember college basketball, that's always going to be my top story is going to Pittsburgh and being in that much pain and still finishing, still finishing a couple stories for the Boston Globe on deadline. I don't know if they know that story, but they probably should. I probably should know that story. Uh, All right. Anyways, I didn't mean to make today's story time, but that's exactly what we did. Now, when I got home last night, I caught the post game of the Monday night football. I didn't watch the game. I just told you I was at the Celtics, but I was able to catch the post game. And you know, if you've listened to the show, you know, my advice to the post game crew on ESPN for Monday night football, Steve Young, Steve Levy, Trent Dilfer, Ray Lewis, my advice, get some chairs, get the boys some seats. What are we doing standing up in the middle of the field talking about football? Why don't you sit down? What's the point? You might as well get a football. Are they holding a football when they do this? I don't think so, right? If you're going to be out there standing around, at least toss the pigskin while you're doing it, right? Keep it a little more entertaining. But I'm listening to them last night, and they're talking about the Odell Beckham Jr. news. And the news is, and I went on a rant on this on yesterday's podcast, during my week 15 reaction, make sure you go check that out. Uh, basically, long story short, I think what Odell Beckham Jr. did in that game to Josh Norman, not really the stuff where they're each hitting each other in the head with their hands. That stuff's happening. We've seen it happen before. The part that pissed me off was Odell Beckham Jr., when his eyes lit up, when he thought, hey, I got a perfect opportunity, a golden opportunity to take a shot right now at Josh Norman. As Shane Vereen runs up the field in a 35-7 game late in the third quarter, Odell Beckham Jr. sprinted downfield and went to put a block on Josh Norman, but did it in a fashion that was just as much of a scumbag hit as you're going to see in any sport, okay? Diving straight in with his helmet to connect with the jaw. He had a target, he had an intention, and it was downright filthy, and he should have been ejected from the game, and Odell Beckham Jr., I told you yesterday, should be suspended for the rest of the season. I don't care if you have him in fantasy football, I don't care if the Giants are mathematically still alive in a playoff race for their division, I don't give a shit. Odell Beckham Jr. should not be playing in another game this season, all right? Shouldn't be. And in fact, if you wanted to carry that suspension a little bit into next season, I'd be okay with that. What he did in that game with that helmet-to-helmet hit and the dive that he put on, the block, the way he lunged at him, the way he intended to hurt Josh Norman with a helmet-to-helmet hit. We've seen a lot of helmet-to-helmet hits in football. And I know we like to think a lot of them are intentional. Well, I'm not so sure they are. This one, I'm sure it was. Okay? I know it was. I'm positive it was. And you need to make them pay for it. But the news last night, yesterday, was that Odell Beckham Jr. will be suspended only one game. One game. And the Giants are in, you know, they're in a must-win situation. They 
are playing the Minnesota Vikings in Minnesota. It's not an easy game. The Vikings are trying to clinch a playoff berth, and they can do so with a win. So they're going to try to win. Adrian Peterson is saying he's still going to play, even though he sprained his ankle in the last game. Uh, you look at the what the Redskins have. They're at Philadelphia, and the Redskins can clinch the division with a win. All right? So... Uh, you know what's at stake. you got to beat Minnesota if you're the Giants. They're going to be without Odell Beckham Jr. They should be without him for both games. Right? They should be without him for both games, and if they somehow got into the playoffs, they should be without him for the rest of the, for the playoffs as well for what I saw from him in that game on Sunday against Carolina. You, you know, all this stuff that, we, that the league gets so worked up about and wants to you know, go at certain players and attack certain players and they want to go at Tom Brady. Well, you're trying to make statements. You're trying to protect the integrity of the league. Well, here's what you do. You got to make, set an example, make a statement with this Odell Beckham Jr. play. All right? And you got to come out and say, look, you want to get in fights with a cornerback. Cornerback wants to get in fights with a receiver. You want scuffles. You want maybe a minor brawl during a game at times. All right. All right, but the minute that you make the type of play, it's not even a play, it's, it's just a garbage hit. That's what it is. You want to make that type of hit on someone, then you, you're gone. You're gone. And, and, and we're going to make a statement and set an example out of you to the rest of the league. If somebody else wants to do something like this, they're out and they're not coming back till the next season. Um, I'd be fine with that. They only gave him one game, and Odell Beckham Jr., he's going to appeal this. That's the news today. That appeal will be heard on Wednesday, tomorrow, so we'll see. And they're trying to, they'll, I assume a decision will be made maybe Thursday, maybe even Friday. Who knows, Saturday at the latest. They go, I'm sure they'll make it before uh, the Giants and the Vikings play on the 27th. The 27th, that is Sunday Night Football, right? The 27th? Yeah, Sunday Night Football. So I'm sure they'll get it, try to, you know, make an announcement on the appeal and make a decision on the appeal before then. But I think it should stay at one game. I mean, I think it should be more than one game. But there's no way you can cut it down to zero. He's got to get suspended and I think you can even make an argument that, well, because he wasn't ejected from the game, and he probably should have been, you're going you're gonna to sit out the next one. So he should not play in this game, even after appealing. But last night, they're talking about this. And while they're standing around, you know, whatever they're doing standing around on that field post-game on Monday Night Football, Ray Lewis and Trent Dilfer, they decide to take this stance on the Odell Beckham Jr. situation, which is, again, based on everything that we've seen the last 12 months with the Flategate and the blame that has been placed. Now, I'll give Trent Dilfer some credit here on the Flategate, and I've played his audio many times on the show when it came to the Flategate. The day of the Super Bowl, the pregame show, he sat, and they actually, they were sitting for this one, he sat next to Ray Lewis, Steve Young, Susie Colba, and he said, looked at all of them, he said, you know, I'm surprised we're doing this right now. I'm surprised that we're taking the air pressure in a football and we're making this such a big deal when we know, as people in the league, around the league, former players in the league, we know 
that everybody does something to stretch the boundaries of the rules in the National Football League. And he, he said to Ray Lewis something that the Ravens are doing. He said to Steve Young something that his 49ers did. And they were speechless. They were like, uh, well, yeah. yeah. So th- the way we throw blame around, these analysts sometimes go crazy. And everybody went crazy with the, the Flakegate bullshit. Trent Dilfer, I'll give him credit. He actually was one of the only ones during the Flakegate that I thought I don't want to say voice of reason. I think that's too strong. But was somebody that I agreed with and I thought had some of the best takes on Deflategate for someone who was a former player and knows the deal and knows that it wasn't a big deal and everybody else is making it a big deal and it should have never been. But forget about that. Forget about what Dilfer said about Deflategate. Last night, okay, last night, post-game Monday Night Football, they're talking about Odell Beckham Jr. And... Instead of putting the blame on Odell Beckham Jr. for just the madness that ensued on that field with him and Josh Norman, instead of saying Odell Beckham Jr. is to blame here, you know what they did? They put the blame on the Giants. They put the blame on Giants teammates of Odell Beckham Jr. They put the blame on the coach, Tom Coughlin. Now, I mentioned Tom Coughlin yesterday with this Odell situation. And I know people are wondering, well, why didn't Tom Coughlin sit him down and say, hey, you know, calm down. We're going to bench you. You can't do this. You're going to hurt us at penalties. So you can't have it happen, right? The reason I don't criticize Tom Coughlin is because when that helmet-to-helmet hit was made, yeah, you're down 35-7. But Odell Beckham Jr. is one of the best players Impact players, not just receivers, players in the league. If you want a chance to win that game and get into the playoffs, or at least have a better shot at getting into the playoffs, you want to knock off Carolina. You want to make some type of comeback. You need Odell in that game. You cannot give him any time off. Tom Coughlin's trying to win the game at that point. And I can't blame him for keeping Odell Beckham Jr. in the game. So I'm not going to crush Tom Coughlin. And at the end of the day, Odell Beckham Jr., even after those antics, if it wasn't for him, they would have never tied the game up at 35. They came back. An unbelievable fourth quarter comeback. Tied it up at 35. Now they ended up losing with that late field goal. Right? But still, they don't even have a sniff, a shot at that game, if it's not for Odell Beckham Jr. So I don't know that you can sit there and crush Tom Coughlin, and I didn't do that yesterday, and I won't do it today. But last night... Ray Lewis, these guys on the ESPN postgame, Trent Dilfer, they didn't put this on Odell Beckham Jr. They put it on the Giants. They put it on everybody else but Odell Beckham Jr. And it goes down, to me, this goes down, as one of the dumbest opinions, and I know opinion, everybody has a right, entitled to their own opinion, but there are some times that you have, if someone can have such an outrageous opinion, that it's, it's just, it's basically, you're, ly- you're lying to yourself. You're lying to everybody around you. I mean, uh, the idea, the mere idea that Odell Beckham Jr. should not be blamed for what happened yesterday and that we should be pointing the blame at, this, at his Giants teammates. His Giants teammates are probably like, this asshole is going to cost us the game. What do you want someone to do? I, I I don't know what you want the rest of the Giants to do. Odell Beckham Jr. was playing like an asshole on Sunday. And at the same time, that asshole 
is one of the best players in the league. So as a coach who's trying to win the game, I think you got to keep him on the field. I think you got your hands tied. You have to do it. And look, guess what? It worked out for him. Worked out for him. That should have never been put on the Giants, on the coach. This is back on the officials. The officials should have ejected Odell Beckham Jr. at the end of the third quarter. They didn't. They let him play. And guess what? Because Odell Beckham Jr. kept playing, because Tom Coughlin then kept him in the game, the Giants had a chance to win. They would have never had that chance if, they, if Odell Beckham Jr. wasn't playing. But Ray Lewis last night, he wants to get on national TV and he wants to start talking about how this wasn't Odell Beckham's fault. This is about his teammates. You're going to put it on his teammates? What kind of stupid, dumb, ridiculous opinion is that? Makes no sense. What do you, what do you want someone to do in that situation, Ray? I, I just, I'm going to let you listen for yourself. Here it is. I recorded it. I pulled my phone out. The TV was gone. I put my recorder up to the TV, and I said, I have to rewind this and play Ray Lewis's pot back because it is just so mind-boggling that you could have that you could have this take and this opinion on this situation, which, again, there's one guy to blame here. All right, I'm not, and I never took, for one second, I never took Josh Norman off the hook. I'm sure he egged him on. And we hear this story about how Carolina, they brought bats out to the field. I saw a video, guy has a bat out in the field saying they're going to beat Odell. Oh, give me a fucking break. They're going to they're gonna beat you with a bat after the game? Please, if they're going to beat if somebody's going to jump you with a bat after a game, they're not going to come out before the game and tell you about it. They're going to go do it, all right? They're going to go do it. They're not going to tell you about it first. They're not going to tell the world. They know there's cameras out there. You're not going to get beat with a bat. It's a... It was, first of all, it's a stupid message. I wish Carolina didn't do it. So, whoever had that bat in his hands on the field should probably be uh, fined for just stupidity. But, I mean, did, did Odell Beckham Jr. really think he was going to get jumped after the game by, a, uh, by some Carolina Panthers players with baseball bats? Like, what fucking world are you living in? That's not going to happen. And if it was going to happen, I get news for you, Odell. They wouldn't be telling you about it beforehand. All right? And I'm not trying to sound like someone who knows a thing or two about going after people with baseball bats, because I don't. But, you know, it just seems to be the street smart, common sense thing that you're not actually going to get attacked with a baseball bat if somebody's shown it to you on national... They know they're on national TV. They know people are going to pick it up. I mean, just the idea that I'm even having this conversation about this is stupid. And you obviously put the blame on Carolina for that, for even bringing this into the conversation and going out and doing it. But the Giants, I mean, for Odell Beckham Jr., not the Giants, Odell Beckham Jr. alone, to use that as some type of reasoning for what he did on the field Sunday is utterly ridiculous. And there is nobody to blame here other than Odell Beckham Jr. Don't give me that another guy was in his head. Don't give me that the other guy hit him first. Norman might have hit Odell Beckham Jr. in the head a couple times with his hand. They were both whacking each other back and forth. I told you. In the heat of the moment, in the battle, I'm okay with that. But where Odell crossed the line was the way he ran full speed and lunged headfirst at Norman's chin. That's as dirty of a hit as I have seen in any league, in any sport, at any point in time in the history of athletics. Okay? And it can't happen. So there's nobody to blame for that other than Odell Beckham Jr. himself.
All right? But Ray Lewis somehow finds a way to take the blame off of Odell Beckham Jr.'s shoulders. I'll let you listen to for yourself. Here's Ray Lewis last night after the game talking about this situation. You spoke to Odell Beckham Jr. You talked to him on Sunday night. You talked to him again on Monday. I'm curious how he has changed his feelings in 24 hours. It's his, it, for him, it's quiet, man, you know, because it's like so much noise going on about his name and about, you know, just his brand as a person. And, look, I'm telling you this. I've talked to this kid enough times. He's just not that guy, right? And he took one bad day, and he took a couple of bad plays, and he let it run out of control, right? And and so every time I talk to him, he's always looking for that one new thing to, like, how do people see me? Because that, that means a lot to him because of who he is and what his brand is. And, 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 I, and I think the biggest thing that's frustrating me a lot is that, I'm hurt that nobody on the Giants was man enough to go take up for their brother. That's a great Because that's what you do. Yeah. That, 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 that's what this business is for. And, and I'm telling you, when I came in as a baby, when I left it, that's who I left it. I always had somebody to look out for me, and it was my turn to look out for many other people. So to see the Giants, to see the head coach not look out for Odell Beckham, to see Eli Manning not look out for Odell Beckham, really? Really? Because you're not competing right now if it wasn't for Odell Beckham. Absolutely insane. Absolutely in fucking sane. I, you, you can't. It, look, if there's one person to have this take, though, this opinion, I would, I would guess it would be Ray Lewis. I have no idea how this guy has has a job. I have no clue. I like, I get it. You want professional athletes. You mean to tell me you can't find another NFL, former NFL player that could stand there and and be a little bit more logical? Then Ray Lewis, you can't find that guy. Let me find that guy for you. I can go find him for you, a former NFL player. We've had some of them on this very show. I mean, come on. They should have, you know who should be out there on that show? And I've had him on this show, Matt Chatham. Would be great in that spot. Would be great in that spot. Former NFL linebacker, three-time Super Bowl champion. All right? Knowledgeable, well-informed, a smart dude. What is a good dude, too, by the way? I think you should factor that in when we talk about um, who should have it instead of Ray Lewis. What is the purpose of Ray Lewis being near any show, any analysis? I don't understand. Are they afraid that he could go somewhere else and people would would be rushing to the TV to make sure they watch Ray Lewis? No. Who would do that? Can you name anybody that would react that way? Oh, Ray Lewis went to Fox. I can't wait to watch the Fox Sports 1 pregame show next next year, every Sunday, and postgame, because I love Ray Lewis analysis. No. The guy should not be in that. The guy just shouldn't have that job, especially with opinions like this. Like, at what point do you say, no, 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 no. You, this is so stupid. We can't keep putting you on. Last night, for me, was one of the more mind-boggling things I have ever seen or heard the guy say. And we've played a lot of those things that he said on this very show. We've played the audio. Right? There have been some stuff all season long that we've been playing. I mean, just just crazy. That's on Odell Beckham Jr. I, I can't, I'm not going to sit there and go, ah, you know what, Odell Beckham Jr. is not at fault. It's his teammates. 
Oh, yeah, it's his teammate. It's his teammates. It's his coach's fault that he's an asshole, right? No. Not, not right. It's wrong. It's an opinion. It's wrong. It, you can have your opinion, but that's just, that's ridiculous. And I know people say, why do you even listen? It's Ray Lewis. Of course he's going to say stupid shit. Well, I, I just happened to see it. I wasn't, you know, I, I like watching ESPN. All right, I watch ESPN. That, that's why I'm. That's why we get upset with it. Look, we knock ESPN for the Deflategate stuff, but that's one thing. All right, outside of that, ESPN's a go-to station for me for a lot of sports fans. And I think the reason I get fired up for something like this, having Ray Lewis on these shows, is I like watching ESPN and I want to keep watching, but I don't want to keep watching this guy. And I would just like to think that the things that I'm seeing and hearing coming out of his mouth. The people at ESPN are also seeing and hearing. But I, apparently not. Because they don't seem to be in a rush to make any changes. There, there are plenty of people who could have that job and do a great job at it. And, and Ray Lewis is not one of them. He has proven that time and time again. And last night is another situation. And it just pissed me off. So I had to play that. But uh, that's it for... Uh, my NFL rants for the day. Tomorrow on Wednesday's podcast, it'll be the last show of the week, of the holiday week, of Christmas week, and I will be giving my picks tomorrow as well. I know I give them every Friday. Picks, picks, five games with the spread. You might want to pay attention because I'm 9-1 and one in my last 10 picks. All right? I went 4-1 and one last week. I went 5-0 and oh the week before. So you got to ride the hot hand. So pay attention. I'll, do, I'll give those tomorrow. And I will also, like I do every Wednesday, preview every single game in the league for the upcoming week. And the upcoming week is week 16. Two more regular season games for each team in the league as the playoff races get very interesting now. The next couple weekends. So we'll do that preview on tomorrow's podcast. Uh, and wrap up the week with Picks Picks tomorrow as well. Uh, just one other story I want to close the show out with today. And that's the Boston Red Sox have announced they are going to retire Wade Boggs's number 26. And surprisingly, I see some people who are kind of like, you know, look, I'm not sitting here going, Oh, I wasn't, I'm not going to lie. I wasn't sitting here two weeks ago or last year, even the last five years. I wasn't sitting there going, you got to retire 26. No, I didn't feel that way. I felt that way about 45. The Pedro Martinez, you know, Pedro Martinez night. You know, you had to retire 45. You just had to do it. And they did it. I've been saying for a while, they have to retire 21. Roger Clemens' number. You got to retire it. You don't even let anyone wear it. Nobody's worn it since him. So it's unofficially retired. Why not make it official? And I do think they will make that official. Um, I've wondered about Manny Ramirez's 24. I, I've wondered about that. But, I mean, they've given it to a couple of guys. They've given it to a couple of guys since, right? And most recently, they've given it to David Price. Right? Now... I know people talk about Dwight Evans as well at 24, but I mean, I, yeah, I still think Manny Ramirez, you know, I, they, look, they've, but they've given them, the point is they've given that number out. Uh, David Ortiz, they will absolutely retire David Ortiz's number 34. Like, it is absolutely going to happen. Um, 
but again, he's got one more season left before we see David Ortiz retired and before we even get any talk. They're not going to do that right away anyways, I don't think. I think they might wait. They probably wait a couple years to do that, to retire at 34, but they will retire at 34, it's a guarantee. I do think they'll also retire at 21. We'll see what they do down the line with 24 at some point. We'll, we'll see. But um, 26, I'm not going to lie. I wasn't sitting here the last couple weeks, months, years saying, you got to retire at 26. You need to do it. You need to retire Wade Boggs' number. I wasn't saying that. But when you hear the news that the Red Sox are going to retire Wade Boggs' number, I'm not surprised by it. In fact, I acknowledge it as being the right thing to do. Like, I don't, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, I wasn't out saying you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to retire 26. But since they're doing it, I'm, okay, I'm fine with it. And I, to the point where I say, yeah, good, good call. Retire 26. Good call. I mean, look, Wade Boggs, look, I was born in 82. Wade Boggs' last year in a Red Sox uniform was 92. He then played for the Yankees for a handful of years. His last major league season at the age of 41 was in 99 with Tampa Bay, right? He had those two seasons with Tampa, 98-99. But, I mean, so Wade Boggs in his Red Sox career, you know, those aren't my... I, you know, my memories from Wade Boggs watching him live or, or watching him on TV, my memories aren't great of that. I obviously know how good Wade Boggs was. You, you obviously remember some highlights. You then watched him play uh, for the Yankees in the mid-90s. Um, you know, this is a guy that is a career, just look at the numbers alone for his career, 18 years in the league. He is a career 328 hitter. I mean, look at his numbers with the Red Sox. Hit 349, 361, 325, 368, 357, 363, 366. Just crazy. Right? Just absolutely. You don't see guys with, with these bad and average numbers anymore. 330, 332. I mean, it went on and on and on. Again, a career 328 hitter. He is a Major League Baseball Hall of Famer. Uh, his number, they're going to retire his number at Fenway. Um, my reaction to it is, good, good. It's, it's a good call. It's a good decision. Good decision. I don't know why someone would have a beef with it. Like, I do hear some people that sort of have a beef. I don't have a beef with it. I, I, don't, I, I actually don't understand that logic. And if, you know, you're someone who was born in 82, 83, 84, mid-80s, late-80s, and you, maybe you don't, Really remember watching Wade Boggs live? I mean, all you really have to do is, you know what he was. You see the highlights. Look at the numbers at the same time. I mean, the numbers are outstanding. So, uh, I, my reaction is, good. Good for the Red Sox. It's a good decision. Retire 26. I don't know why anyone would have a problem with it. I really don't. Really don't. I'm here five days a week. DannyPicard.com. You can subscribe on iTunes. Also on the TuneIn app. Also, on the Stitcher app, really any application that you get podcasts on, on any phone or device, you can get this show. Follow me on Twitter, at Danny Picard. Like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Danny Picard Show. Follow me on Instagram, all forms of social media. I will wrap up the holiday week with an NFL Week 16 preview and picks picks for Week 16 on tomorrow's podcast. I'm out. Talk to you then.